For tuning into the 447th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, or thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. Being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual. We're going to have a great podcast for you guys today. going to have Thomas Moore on. He covers the Philadelphia 76ers for the Bucks County Courier Times covered them for about 34 years so we have a great conversation about that <clears throat> covering guys like charles barkley alan iverson what was, what was it like when michael jordan walked into the building for the chicago bulls um uh, was talked about the 76ers now with uh joel and b the ben simmons and b drama uh and just what happened with ben simmons and how odd that was so great conversation. Really appreciate Thomas for coming on the show. Now, before we get to Thomas, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically view Spotify. I have everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp and it will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at nighttrain underscore lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane and you will find that I also post three to five minute clips of this podcast right here as well as my syndicate show outside the shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. And for some odd reason why if you don't like the pod, then don't say anything because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, And kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Thomas Moore. Kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Thomas Moore. He's a sports columnist for the Bucks County Courier Times. How you doing, man? All right. How are you, Dale? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So I have to ask you this. So how long have you been covering the 76ers? For about, like, 30-plus years, right? Yeah, this would be my 35th draft. Okay. 34 years. Yep. So in your time, that's a long time. Uh, have you ever seen anything like the Ben Simmons situation in Philadelphia? Yeah, probably not. Probably the craziest thing other than that was the whole uh, Brian Colangelo um, burner account scandal that cost him his job. There were five burner accounts that either he or his wife or somebody was using. Um, and the crazy thing with that was that after the fact, I realized all five accounts were following me and I had interacted with several, not realizing who they were or what was you know going on but i would say yeah those two things are i mean there, there were unhappy players barkley wanted to get traded in 92 and did get traded to the suns and went to and was the mvp and made the finals in 92 93 his first year in phoenix but i never saw anything like that where a guy was holding out or 
didn't want to play, and then it was one problem, then it was another problem, and yeah, it was uh, it was really something. I'm just glad it's over with, really, because I was afraid it was going to, you know, Maury could have waited and held on to him if he wasn't getting what he wanted. You know, we could still be worrying about that now, so I'm glad that that is no longer a concern. Did you always think Ben would be moved uh, before the deadline, or were you really worried that you're like, is Daryl really serious when he's like, we can do this for four years? And you're like, come yeah, on. I, I mean, I, it sounded like they came close to moving him to um, Atlanta for John Collins, uh, a first-round pick, and the kid from Duke that everybody likes who, who then went to the Knicks, the, the wing. R.J. Barrett? Uh, what's that? R.J. Barrett? No, no, no. The kid from Duke. Um, I mean, sorry, the... Um, I can see him. Uh, it, no, I mean that's a that's a good answer and it's accurate. But no, it's the kid that he's hurt a lot. He, he's like six six. He looks good. Everybody likes him. Everybody wants him, and then he goes there and doesn't do as well. But anyway, um, they came close to doing that apparently, and then that fell through. And you know, I didn't know if, if Brooklyn would be willing to give up Harden, and I knew you know it sounded like uh, Maury having acquired Harden from Oklahoma City, you know, ten years earlier or whatever it was. Um, you know, really wasn't Harden, but if they couldn't get Harden, you know, I thought, well, there's a good chance that, you know, it would just drag on and he would be out. He wouldn't play the whole year, which turned out to be the case in Brooklyn too. And then now you're, you know, are you going to trade a pick and uh, with it and a player and get what players can you get back, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I thought it was a real chance that that, that it wasn't going to happen. Did you have any idea after that Hawk series where, you know, Ben famously passes up the dunk that after that game seven, everything that would unfold after, like if somebody just went back, back in time and told you, like, what would you have said to them? Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, um, oh, earlier uh, it was Cam Reddish. I couldn't think of his name. That's who it was. I, I was, I was referring to Cam Reddish. Um, uh, I mean, no, everyone's avoided criticizing Simmons, so it was interesting that, you know, uh, Embiid said that was the turning point in the game when he passed up that dunk, and, you know, really for the first time, um, uh, Rivers, when he was asked, do you see him being a point guard on a championship caliber team, and he said, I don't know, I mean, you know, they were, that. those are fair answers, but they had shielded him and protected him and coddled him for so long. I think that that was the final straw. And there were, you know, Colangelo apparently wanted the Sixers to build around Simmons, not Embiid, you know, earlier. And it certainly looks like Embiid, as long as he stays healthy, being the runner-up for MVP the last two years, you know, is certainly the more talented, certainly the better scorer, that's for sure. Um, The bigger impact, you know, that way. Um, But, yeah, I don't... I, I, I mean... Most people, when that would happen, they would come at, like, look at what Tyrese Maxey, you know, his rookie year was, wasn't bad, but wasn't as good as he wanted. Really worked on his shooting, and he raised his three-point shooting 12% from his first year to his second year. You know, they would come from a situation like that where, you know, his free, his free for their shooting and his, his unwillingness to shoot in the fourth quarter. He didn't take a shot in the last four fourth quarters of that, of that series, and the Sixers lost three of those games, two of them at home. So most people you would think would, you know, I'll show them. And I, that doesn't, didn't seem to be the case. It didn't seem like he worked on his shoot, you know, shooting. He did a lot of, it does a lot of things really, really well. Defensively, ball handling, 
vision, you know, stuff like that, uh, you know, guarding just about any position, switching, whatever you need, rebounding. But in terms of scoring, it was four on five basically on offense in the half court, and that, that makes it tough. And it's, it's kind of like that with Matisse Stiebel now. He's, he's just not a factor on offense. And that's one of the reasons he only averaged like 15 minutes a game in the series against the Heat this year because Rivers couldn't keep him on the court because they didn't have to guard him. And they, they could just constantly double-team and beat. It, made, it just made the spacing a problem. He was always open in the corner, but just you know couldn't knock down open threes. So you need to be able, you don't need to be able to be, you don't have to be a dominant scorer, but you at least need to, need to be a threat. Yeah, and to your point, it's really interesting too. And I think you mentioned Ben and Thibel in that situation. Uh, I think you can also see that with a guy like Draymond earlier in the Golden State series with Boston where, you know, he's struggling to score if nobody's guarding him. Like, it's just so hard to play basketball, a five-on-five game, when there's just one offensive threat that nobody has to worry about. It, it, like, it's like playing football 11-on-12. Like, it's like having that extra, you just have an extra guy out there to do whatever when you have no threat. And it's like defensively when you can have a wink link like that, you can rotate, you can do things to help that guy, right? But when it's on offense, it's kind of like, ah... Uh, there's nothing we really can do. <laughs> yeah, uh, for, for sure. And, you know, the Bible, this was his third year, so really they really needed him to make a jump. And he, I believe his three-point shooting actually decreased slightly his percentage from second year to his third year. And, I mean, he must lead the league in open three-pointers. He's way up there in open three-pointers, you know, percentages. He's almost never guarded at the three-point line. Um, so he can get to the baseline, on the wing, at the elbow, straight on wherever he wants to go. He's going to have an open shot, but, uh, you know, he, he makes them so infrequently that, it, you know, if you're the defense, you'd rather have him shoot that than, you know, indeed take a 12-footer or a 16-footer or, or anything, really. So you'll live with that. And then long shots, you tend to get long rebounds. So, you know, Embiid's unlikely to get the offensive rebound there, too. So, yeah, in this day and age, and everybody knows once somebody has success doing something, it's a copycat league. Everybody does, everybody does it. And... You know, you got to do something different, or else it's going to keep happening. Do you see Thibel being in the Sixers' long-term plans? Um, I think they would. I mean, I think that you know, it's been reported uh, multiple places that they've had discussions about trading him, and it would make sense. Apparently, they've you know talked to a lot of teams about Thibel in the twenty-third pick. Um, I mean, because they need wings, and I mean, defensively, and even defensively, I thought he slipped. I, I thought he. Uh, got beat more late in the season in the playoffs, and then he, he was very good at recovering earlier to block a shot or impact a, a shot or, or whatever, and then late in the season in the playoffs, he ended up committing a lot more fouls in those situations, so whether guys figured out just to pull up and bang into him and get a foul or whatever, so he, you know, he was second team All-NBA defensive, he had a really good rec- most of the regular season defensively, but he slipped in the postseason, and then like I said, offensively, is he averaged about ten less minutes a game in the playoffs because he wasn't effective offensively. So he could be back, but I think if they can trade the pick and and him and get a slightly better player, whether it's a wing, uh, whether it's a guy who you can bring some toughness, which they need, um, or just help scoring off the bench, um, you know that they have a lot of money committed. Assuming Harden picks up his forty-seven point four million dollar option. They'll have $118 million committed, and assuming Tobias Harris stays, they have $118 million committed to three players next year. So, you know, that doesn't leave a whole lot of space um, 
to acquire other things other than minimum salaries and mid-level exceptions. So um, they're going to have to, I mean, uh, Maury's going to have to be creative, you know, to, to get better, combine some things. They have Danny Green's $10 million uh, salary, which is not guaranteed next year, but they could trade that. Uh, like at the draft, the team could, could, could send back $10 million worth for him and then cut him and then create a 10 minute, you know, subtract their payroll by $10 million. So that would be a possibility. They could do something like that combined, you know, Danny Green, Fiebel in the first pick and bring back somebody like uh, Eric Gordon or something like that. If that's the, the route that they want to go, a team that wants to cut salary and can get rid of, I think Eric Gordon's got a couple of years left. Whereas, you know, Green only has $10 million and they can subtract it on July 1st. They can, they can decline it, that option. So, yeah, they, they have some, Maury has some work to do. I mean, if he's 28, you got to, he's in his prime and you need to kind of, if you're going to do it, you got to do it now, is the way I look at it. You can't be building or, you know, a 23rd pick, even if it's a guy like uh, Maxi, you're going to have to wait for, it was 21st two years ago, you're going to have to wait for him to develop. They need help right now in terms of winning, you know, all, any bench position. As I said, the fifth starter, they could use an upgrade at the fifth starter. You know, wings, um, two-way wings, which are easier said than done to acquire. Um, there's a lot of things this team could use to be better. And, you know, to, to get past the second round, indeed, four times in the last five years lost in the second round. And they haven't been past the second round since 2001, you know, with Iverson and Matumbo when they went to the finals. So, um they're knocking on the door, um, but they can't. They can't get where they need to go. They seem to always have a fatal flaw. In terms of Embiid, right? Uh, do you? Th- how long do you think before he becomes like the antsy or dissatisfied superstar that you know maybe he starts looking someplace else? Do you think how many more years do you think Daryl Morey in Philadelphia has? Uh, yeah, it's interesting because even. Even last year at the after game six, like he gave like a 75 minute, 75 second response about like what they don't have. And it was all PJ Tucker. We don't have toughness. We don't have a guy, you know, it's not just the, the, you know, the shooting and and what he gives, but the defensive and the defensive um, versatility and toughness. And he said, I I haven't played with guys like these. We we just haven't, I'm not telling tales out of school. We, We just haven't had guys like these. So I think, there's really a sense of urgency in Maury's, from Maury's standpoint, to upgrade the roster this year. I mean, I guess they thought they did with Harden last year, but, you know, he was very passive late in games, especially in the fourth quarters, uh, for most of the playoffs. And he had been a guy who could take over before. So that, that just created more pressure on Embiid. And they still doubled Embiid because, you know, uh, Harden really didn't look to score that much more. Uh, Maxi was a more effective fourth quarter than Harden was. Um, especially in that um, six-game series against the Heat. So I think they really need to upgrade now. And I guess they thought they did last year, but they really need to, to address some of these issues and try to make a run because, you know, the the Bucks are still very good. You know, the Heat, even if Tucker leaves, are going to be good. The Celtics are good. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen in Brooklyn. So, you know, you're going to have to play one of those teams in the second round, if not the first round next year, probably. So... Yeah, there's no easy pass to the conference finals. How much do you think the fact that Embiid hasn't played in the conference finals eats at him? I'm sorry? How much do you think the fact that Joel hasn't played in the conference finals yet eats at him? 
Well, yeah, I, I think he like he likes playing on the big stage. He loves playing national TV games and so on. And I think, you know, the the Toronto series uh, three years ago with a quadruple bouncer from Kawhi. Now, to be fair, the Sixers wouldn't have won that. It would have gone to overtime. They still would have had to win it on the road. But the point is, they would have they would have had a chance to win that. And then, uh, you know, they win the championship. Um, and Atlanta, that was the killer two years ago because you have the best record in the conference, you have home court advantage, you have the best home record in, in the regular season, and they lost three out of four at home to Atlanta, um, essentially because Simmons was too passive and only made 33% of his free throws. If he makes 50% of his free throws in that series, they win. Um, and that's not asking a lot. So I think, you know, you're not guaranteed anything. I always remember Dan Marino when he came with the Dolphins. He went to the Super Bowl his rookie year. He played 17 more years. He never made it again. So you just never know when it's going to happen. Well, you know, Harden gets hurt. Harden suffers a significant injury, or you know, heaven forbid, Embiid or Maxi or whoever next year. You know, there could be a drop off, and you could say, "Look, I'm 29. Uh, I want to win. Does the world is going to happen here?" You know, I want to be moved. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to do it, but that would be a you know a difficult situation. So, there's really a sense of urgency that they they need to uh, give him a better chance. Um, and you know, being hurt games one and two against Miami was really difficult. They lost both of those, so then they had to win four out of five against Miami, which is a really good team, more experienced team. Um, so. Yeah, you, you don't know how many chances you're going to get. So, I mean, you can't, you know, now trading Maxi. I mean, if you could get Durant maybe in a trade or something like that, maybe you think about it. But I don't know that I would trade Maxi for, you know, Bradley Beal or something like that. Um, you know, just just depending. If, if you get Beal, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. He, he's, under, he's, a, he's a 6'3 guard. You know, you're very small. Um, you could try trading Tobias Harris in, in a package there, but then if you have Maxi at six two, Beal at six three, and Harden at six five, you're super small, and you were one of the league's worst rebounding teams last year. Um, so that's a factor you have to factor in. You'd be even smaller. So yeah, there's a lot that goes into these things. But yeah, more more has some work to do. No question. Can Harden be the second best player on a championship team still? Because he did have a really bad end of that series in Miami. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess the Sixers' hope is that, um, you know, the hamstring really what maybe was bothering him more than he let on because he, he really had trouble finishing in the lane in traffic. Um, and, you know, I just thought like games one and two against Miami when he, uh, you know, with no Embiid, you needed him to be, you know, aggressive in the fourth quarters of those first two games and he really wasn't looking for a shot he was still you know running the team well getting people involved and so on but he was not um looking for his opportunities when they desperately needed scoring late in those games so i guess the hope is that the hamstring with time off with the preseason you know familiarity having more plays um you know clear outs and stuff designed for him uh, maybe have a better idea, Rivers having a better idea of what works with him and Embiid, et cetera, that, you know, they'll be more effective this year. But I, I think, you know, there's no way to say that's the case now, especially based on the, you know, the playoffs and the, the two-week series against Miami, what happened. How far do you think the 76ers are from winning a championship right now today? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think they're a couple moves away. They're not just, you know, even if, let's say, they get Bradley Beal, I don't know that that does it because their bench, you know, George Niang is a pretty good regular season player. He really struggles in the playoffs because he doesn't move well, so he can't guard anybody, especially against Toronto. Like, you know, he was on Siakam sometimes, and basically you just yell help because he, he, he can't. He can't move his feet to stay in front. And then offensively, he shoots kind of a set, a, a set shot, so he needs space. And he really he wasn't nearly as effective. And he was the Sixers' best bench scorer, uh, you know, in the regular season. He was their top guy. Shake Milton, you know, it isn't bad, but, you know, he's he should be maybe your 10th man, not your 7th man. Um, Furkan Korkmaz just couldn't make shots and struggled defensively. Um you know, the backup center position, Paul Reed, uh, wasn't bad, but the fact that he didn't play a lot in the regular season, he still made some mistakes in terms of going over the back and committing, you know, fouls that he probably shouldn't have committed and maybe he wouldn't have if he had played more in the regular season instead of using Millsap and Jordan and, you know, some other guys after the uh, after the trade in which they in which Drummond also led their pretty good backup went to the Nets. So and they need a fifth starter. It was Danny Green or Thibault last year, but you know Green Greens may not play next year with a significant knee injury from Game Six where Embiid fell on him. And Thibault, you know, can start, I guess, but unless he's a better offensively, he puts you in a bind in the half court. So um, you could really use a starter there. As I said, you could use help across the board, the bench. You you can't you know rely on six or seven guys in the playoffs. You just can't do it. Even playing every other day, you need. You need Embiid needs to be able to go to the bench and not have to be up three minutes later and come back into the game because you know there's been a difference of eight points in those three minutes. You need to uh, you know come up and 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 Rivers did a better job by like playing two starters and three bench guys instead of the previous year when he was playing all bench lineups, which I, I thought was you know ill-advised. So he would keep like Maxi and. Uh, you know, Maxi and Bede out there, or Harden and Tobias Harris out there with three bench guys. So you did have some starters and some continuity and some scorers out there because the bench struggled so much. But yeah, they're, they're at least two moves away, um, I would say. And there's two moves that would have to be, you know, significant and or, um, you know, extremely effective guys who are going to fit what they need and really help take the Sixers to the next level. What do you think Joel Embiid in ter- ranks in terms of 76ers that you've gotten the chance to cover? Yeah, I mean, the best Sixers I covered were I, my first four years on the beat were Charles Barkley's last four years, and then I was here for the whole Iverson time, and then Embiid. So certainly he's one of the three best players in the last 34 years. I missed Julius Irving. Uh, I think he retired the year before I came on the beat, so I didn't come. And I, and I was here for the last year of Maurice Cheeks. Yeah, who was the best, just pure point guard uh, I think the Sixers probably have ever had. Um, you know, it's hard to say. He was a runner-up for MVP twice. Uh, Barkley won the MVP, not here, but in Phoenix, but was a, was an elite scorer and carried the team on his back and a team that, that didn't have enough, kind of like Embiid. Um, and Iverson, you know, was the scorer and kind of relentless, but... It's interesting that their best team when they went to finals was when nobody else averaged more than 12 and a half points a game. They had a bunch of role players, Eric Snow, Tyrone Hill, Aaron McKee, George Lynch, guys like that. So certainly in the top three, um, you know, 
and those other two guys are Hall of Famers too. I would say Embiid is certainly on a path, you know, if he stays healthy, to be you know to be a, a Hall of Famer based on what he what he's done and you know his footwork and the impact he has on the game at both ends at his size and you know just how well he moves. You know, he learned you know watching Kobe fade aways and you know he does some things that Hakeem did, who's another elite center. But he does some things that Jordan and, and Kobe did from watching videos, you know, fadeaways and stuff like that. So I mean, he is a unique and you know just a, a high level all around basketball player. Why do you think Joel and Ben couldn't work? Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I perhaps Ben, you know, thought the team should be built around him, as there was some thought to doing. You know, a number of years back, uh, perhaps he thought, well, I mean, look look at Jimmy Butler. When Jimmy Butler was here, um, you know, that was the team with J.J. Redick and Embiid and Simmons. That was the team that went, you know, that came a quadruple bouncer away from going to overtime in Game 7 at Toronto. Um, and, you know, Jimmy Butler had the ball in his hands late in games. It was a lot of two-man stuff with him and Embiid. It was very effective. But in, on offense, that left no role for Simmons. Simmons stood off to the side and played four and five uh, because um, he needs the ball in his hands to be a distributor, but he's not really a threat to score. So when they made the decision, you know, to keep Tobias Harris, and they try it, I guess, to some degree to keep um, Jimmy Butler, but um, you know, he had been tough. You know, he was tough on teammates, and he was tough on. Brett Brown, uh, the famous uh, film session in Portland where I guess he called Brown out in front of the whole team. Um, and Simmons, like, what's Simmons going to do? Simmons has really no role in that situation. So basically it was choosing between Jimmy Butler and Simmons. And in hindsight, you know, perhaps they you know, they should have looked into trading Simmons then. His value certainly would have been higher then than it was you know, this season with everything that happened after the after the playoffs and his value, you know, couldn't be lower. Um, so I don't know if there were jealousies. I don't know if there was friction exactly. I don't know if there was, you know, a feeling that, you know, I need players a certain type and you're getting players that are, you know, more compatible, you know, was the perception, you know, to Embiid than Simmons. I, I don't know that, but... You would think it would have been able to work um, just because they, they they seem to complement each other well in terms of you know their strengths and weaknesses and so on. But you know it didn't happen, and and it, with a pretty decent supporting cast you know around them at times, you know with Redick and Tobias Harris and so on. So you're saying if the 76ers had got rid of Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler would have stayed. I, I don't know. I, I don't know that for sure. I'm just saying, essentially, what they chose was Brett Brown and Ben Simmons over, and, and, and to a lesser extent, the way I look at it, Tobias Harris than Jimmy Butler. Now, Jimmy Butler apparently wasn't sure he wanted to stay, and I heard that the Sixers kind of wanted him to stay, but also didn't want him to look at other teams and he's like I'm a free agent I want to look at other teams and I guess he, he, he ended up wanting to go to Miami so they made a trade and they got Josh Richardson back so at least they had a, a replacement albeit certainly a lesser one um, on the wing you know for a year until they until they traded him but um, yeah I don't know there's a lot of 
conflicting information from different people, and I don't pretend to know for sure. Um, but just basketball wise, end of game wise, I mean, he's really the last guy the Sixers have had. How many he had either three game winning or game clinching shots that year in the playoffs or the regular season? And I don't know the Sixers have had a guy in that whole time since then hit three. Um, you know, he's a guy that likes the ball at the end, of, in his hands at the end of the game, isn't afraid to take a big shot. Um, and that's what the Sixers, you know, need, you know, need and want. They, I think that's what they thought maybe Harden was, and it's unclear, you know, 33, if he is that player, if he is still that player. Why do you think the Sixers chose Brett Brown and Simmons over Butler? Well, I mean, Brett Brown was, you know, he was your coach, and Simmons, you thought, was a rising star. And neither one, I mean, and Tobias Harris was a good teammate and a good player. But once, once the problem is that with the salary cap and so on, once Butler left, they were in a bind because they were either going to have to sign and trade Harris or Harris was going to leave and they were not going to be able to replace him because they were well over the salary cap. So that's why they ended up paying, you know, Harris almost max money. I think it was $190 million over five years. So they gave him nearly a max contract because he and his agent knew that they kind of had the Sixers, you know, in a bind. And he's a better teammate, and he's easier on coaches. Uh, but, you know, he, he certainly improved defensively and has moments this year, but he's not the closer or late-game guy that Jimmy Butler is. So, I mean, it was, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily blame them for doing that, but when you look back with how it fell apart, and then, you know, Brown leaving, you know, being fired two and a half years ago, and, you know, Simmons being traded... You know, you could see a different scenario, but, you know, who would foresee that? that you know, uh, I mean, I guess Simmons was like 23 at the time, 22 or 23. He was a young guy coming off rookie of the year. You figure he's going to get better. I mean, you look at Magic Johnson and Jordan, and a lot of these guys coming in the league were not very good shooters. They worked and worked and worked. Kobe, they became much better shooters just through repetition and hours in the gym, and you thought that that was going to be Simmons. Um um, that he would improve, not regress as he did, you know, as he showed in the Atlanta series. So, I mean, there's they had reasons to do it. I understand why they did it. It's just hindsight being twenty twenty. You look back, it did, clearly didn't work out the way the Sixers had hoped. So, you cover Charles Barkley. Uh, what was Charles Barkley like to cover? such a different league when I when Charles Barkley was a sixer all the practices were open and the locker room was open after practice so you would sit with Barkley till he took a shower and when he came back he would talk to you until he was done ready to go so I mean you and this was thankfully this was pre you know Twitter and cell phones and all that stuff but it was just a different world um, and the team didn't fly charter so like they, you'd be staying at the Marriott in Cleveland and they'd be at the Marriott in Cleveland you know you'd see um, Scotty Brooks would be working out at the in the health club of the Hyatt when you were there working out you know when he played for the Sixers and so on so it was just a very different you know animal the league was different you had a lot more interaction you know with players you would see as I said at the hotel bar or you know on planes or whatever and then when Larry Brown came you know it became they chartered everywhere um, they stay at you know Four Seasons and Five Star Hotels, not Hyatt's and Marriott's and Hilton's and so on. So um, things really, you know, things really changed. But you had a lot more interaction 
you know, with the players and just got to know the players better, um, you know, better sense of maybe who they really are as opposed to, you know, now just your limited interactions with them, you know, what you do. Because even before COVID, the locker room was never open after practice. Practice is closed until the very end. A lot of times they open, open the, they let you in and they're done practicing. They're just shooting around at, at the different baskets. You know, actually, you might see scrimmaging twice or three times an entire year, you know, during, uh, during practice. So it's just a fair, totally, it's like a different sport almost. The way, the way the game was officiated, you know, the, the, the three-point shot was around, but it was not very common at all. It was very much of a mid-range game league. So um, that has clearly changed. When did you notice that change starting to take place? I probably didn't really realize it. It's just that it, uh, you know, over time and you look back and, you know, we, you'll see like, uh, finals game, the Sixers, was it 1980, I think, I don't know if it was, the, oh, if it was the one game or the series, well, I think one, one of the finals games in 80, or the conference finals game against the Celtics, maybe it was 82, there were a total of five three-pointers attempted in the game. It just was so different. You know, everything was 17 feet and in, drive to the basket, try to get fouled, um, you know, people didn't have a three-point line to stand at, so they would go to where they were. Like, Maurice Cheeks was an excellent shooter from, like, 19 feet in. So he knew even when there's a three-point line, that's not a shot going back three or four feet. So he would move, um, you know, he they would go to where their strengths were. Now everyone stands at the three-point line, whether they're a good three-point shooter, you know, or not. So it's evolved. That It's just a volume. I mean, you just get up so many three-pointers, so many deep rebounds. But if you do the math and you shoot 50% on twos, that's the same thing as shoot 33% on threes, point-wise. So the analytics say if you shoot 35% from three, that's better. You know, that's you know, like the equivalent of shooting you know, 52% from two, which is pretty good. So that's why teams generally launch so many. Can you explain to people how good Charles Barkley was? Because I think people forget about him. They always think of Charles Barkley like, kind of like the goofball with Shaq on TNT. But I think there was like one year in Charles' career in Philadelphia where he finished fourth in MVP voting to like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Michael Jordan. So can you just explain how good Charles Barkley was? Yeah, well, he, 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 was, he, he was the best I ever saw at like, getting a rebound, just turning, and just going the length of the court. And you might try to draw a charge on him once, but guys would not do it a second time because he, I mean, he was like a runaway freight train. But he would put up, you know, just massive numbers. And, you know, on 500 teams, he would, he would get, you know, 34 points and 19 rebounds and, and just filled the stats. He was a pretty good passer. He wasn't a great outside shooter. He probably shot too many three-pointers. Um, but was just dumb. And, you know, at 6'4 and three-quarters, was so quick and so... Um, uh, just such a matchup problem because you put a big guy on him, he was too fast, and you put a little guy on him, he was too strong. He would back you down. Um, so yeah, he was he was a lot of fun to watch. And um, yeah, I was four years I was here. They they won the division in eighty nine ninety, and then lost to Jordan and the Bulls in the second round five games. Then the next year they didn't win the division, but they. They won the first round series against Milwaukee, and then they lost to Jordan five games. And '91 was the first of Jordan's six titles. Um, you know, and Barkley was a tremendous uh, player, but Jordan was just like at another level. He's the best player I ever covered in terms of just dominating the game um, uh, and taking over in you know fourth quarters and just being unstoppable. So that's actually interesting, right? When you talk about Michael, like. 
and you get a chance right when Michael's coming in the arena, they're playing the Sixers. What was that experience like? Like, what was the Michael Jordan experience like? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was unique. The the, the five games, each of those series, um, were uh, just incredible. Because um, in ninety and ninety one, Jordan wasn't the outside shooter that he became uh, with that fadeaway. Um, so he was attacking the rim and. He, you know, was just highlight real moves, and it just was such a sense of anticipation. Um, and you know, they would announce his name, and you would never hear his name you know, from North Carolina, six foot six from North Carolina, and it would just be, you know, pandemonium. Um, yeah, he, he he was he was in, was incredible. I think he would have. I think they would have won eight titles in a row if he didn't leave to play baseball. I really do. They won. 91, 92, 93, then he left in 94, came back late in the 95 season. Not enough time um, in the playoffs to be where he needed to be, and then they won it in 96, 97, 98, and then he retired before he came back, you know, played with Washington um, a few years later, and then retired again for good. So you've never seen a player as good as Michael Jordan? Not, you know, not, not, I, I, I have not, um, I have not, um, covered a better NBA player. I mean, on TV, I saw Will Chamberlain play. And, you know, I, I, I covered, you know, some elite Hall of Fame dominant players, but Jordan's the best player. LeBron's certainly up there with all the things he does defensively and everything, but um, Jordan's the best player that, like, I've ever had the privilege of, you know, covering, probably covered, you know, I don't know, maybe 30 games of his, 40 games of his over the years with the Bulls, and it was... Uh, it was a treat, really. It just, you, and it was crazy because in Philly, he scored like his five thousandth point in Philly, his ten thousandth point in Philly, his twenty thousand. He had all these milestones in Philly, like somehow, some way. Um, and early in his career, everybody loved it because he would score a ton of points, and, and your team would, you know, on the road, and your team would win. So everybody went home happy that Jordan had forty six, and your team beat his team by seven or whatever it was. So. Um, yeah, I, I yeah I can't imagine, and you know who, who knows? I, you know, there's some John Moran. There's some incredible players in the league now, but just getting to see him when he was 26 and 27, you know, in the prime of his career, and when he was attacking the rim, he averaged the one series against Sixers. I think he averaged 14 points in the fourth quarter, and the Sixers were up in like four of the five games they led in the fourth quarter, but they just couldn't stop him. There was nothing they could do. What was it like covering guys like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird? Yeah, uh, you know, I got Bird more late in his career. It's a back trouble. Um, and Magic Johnson, same thing, fairly late in his career um, because I didn't start until 88, 89. So, I mean, they were stars. Um, but I didn't get to see them in their prime, um, I would say. They were still really good players. But not, and then Magic retired in '92, I guess it was, or '91, whatever it was. So I didn't get to see them, you know, in person at the level, um, you know, that they had been. But they were still, you know, so much fun to watch. What was the Allen Iver- I- Iverson experience like for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, he was relentless. He, 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 you know, wanted to win, um, but wanted to get his too. And, you know, it was, and it was funny, Larry Brown would always praise him when he would pass, when he'd make a good pass for a basket, but wouldn't when he would score because he knew he could score. He, I think he thought, 
he can really have an impact. He gets so much attention that he can get his teammates good shots too. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, he was, uh, you know, at just a straight over 5'11". Um, he, you know, he was, uh, he did things that, you know, that very few small guys in history have ever done. Is he the most beloved 76er? Um, I, yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, a certain population really likes him, but, uh, you know, loves him and worships the ground that he walked on. I, I don't know if you, if you, you know, I guess of a certain age he is, but then you go back to, you know, Moses Malone helping him win the championship in 83 and Julius Irving, um, is up there whenever he's there, there's always, you know, standing ovations and so on. Um, uh, yeah, for a certain age, I would say yes, but, um, Across the board, I'd be curious to see what the answer is. So in that 2001 series against the Lakers, what was that like to cover? Uh, well, the Lakers hadn't lost a game, so they were um, undefeated. They had like nine days off, and the Sixers had won a pair of seven-game series in the second round against Toronto and in the conference finals against Milwaukee. So... Um, they went out to LA and, you know, won that first game in overtime. And I think kind of, and almost stole game two, but then unfortunately I think it was like punching a giant in the mouth. And then they came back here and, you know, Shaq and Kobe, all they needed was one of the other guys, whether it was Ori or Fisher or whoever to have a good game and they would win. And they were just too much for the Sixers. They just were too, um, too deep and too talented for this, uh, for the Sixers. But yeah, it was, it was the only time I've ever been past the second round. Um, so it was cool being in the conference finals and, you know, covering the NBA finals. Um, you know, the Sixers hadn't been to the finals since 83 before that when they won the title and they haven't been back since or past the second round. Did you think after that 0-1 finals that the 76ers would have never gotten back there again? I mean, it, it, was, such, it was such a perfect storm. They almost did. I mean... They were only like 14 and 12 in the tumbo after the trade. And if Vince Carter makes a, makes a 20-footer in front of the bench, they lose in the second round. And they could have very easily lost in the conference finals. Uh, Big Dog Robinson missed a five-footer in game five. Or, or Milwaukee would have been up 3-2 going back home. So I had, did have a sense that it was, you know, it was uh, nothing was guaranteed and everything kind of fell right for them that year. Um, uh, and they tried different guys around Iverson scores, other guys it just never happened again. So my last question for you is this. In your time covering the 76ers, what's like the most funny or interesting thing that's happened to you? Um, well, you know, like I said, back in the day, you'd see, you know, you'd see Barkley at, you know, bars or, you know, the hotel or whatever. You, you would run into guys and interact with them. It was much... I won't say it was a level playing field, but you you would interact with them outside of just practice and the games, you know. So that was always he was always interesting. It was always interesting, you know, dealing with him. Uh, yeah, you know, he and he would crack jokes and you know make fun of you and then act like he didn't know you and then walk away and then come back. You know, he, he was he was a character, um, uh, and I you know I thoroughly. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed him. 
uh, to be honest with you. It was not that way, you know, with Iverson, because by that point they were staying in, you know, high-level hotels. And, uh, um, yeah, maybe the most interesting thing I ever saw was Iverson's rookie year. Um, Brad Greenberg was the general manager and Johnny Davis was the coach. And they had a meeting with season ticket holders on the night of the trade deadline before a game. And the team was doing poorly, and the season ticket holders were just railing on Pat Croce was the president of the team, and just reality, we can't give our seats away. The team stinks. Derek Coleman's fat. Blah blah blah. In the middle of the meeting, Brad Greenberg comes out and says, "We didn't make a trade. This is our team for the rest of the year." And they were bad. They, I think, they ended up winning like 22 games, and the fans just went nuts. Meanwhile, Brent Barry from the Clippers was sitting on the table behind the Clippers bench with a ball on his knee, watching this, and like. I've never seen anything before or since. That was kind of like the Simmons saga. It was just such a weird, the Sixers never did it again because they got such, and Pat Croce, the president, came out with a hockey mask, like as a joke, that guys were going to shoot pucks at him and no one laughed. I mean, people were not happy. Now, it got better. As Iverson got better, Larry Brown came here and they acquired veterans who could win and surrounded Iverson, you know, with quality players anyway. But that was... I don't, it was funny, probably not in the way that they intended it to be funny, but that was a that was unique. Maybe, and maybe one more thing, another thing I saw Iverson play around the world with Mo Cheeks when Mo Cheeks was an assistant coach, where you have to make five shots from like five different spots by the three point line, and Cheeks beat him. And Iverson was only like halfway done. Cheeks rolled the ball he was using to Iverson and told Iverson to use that ball because it goes in. <laughs> Cheeks may do that privately, but he doesn't usually do that publicly. He's a very low-key guy. So, I mean, I think Cheeks was surprised even that he did that anyway. But that was – and Iverson laughed. What's he going to What's he gonna say? Because Cheeks, you know, Cheeks beat him handily. But that was certainly memorable, you know, the, you know, over the 34 years. that Those are probably two of the most memorable, funniest things that happened. Thomas, I want to thank you for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Sure. You can check out my stuff on Twitter at Tom Moore Philly. And once again, I want to thank Thomas for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 447th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.